Well, very good morning to you all. Great to be with you today. Do you have your um, Bibles open, if you've got one with you, at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17. Let's just pray again as we come to consider God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are uh, the living God, that we can come into your presence, into your courts with praise and thanksgiving. You're so good. Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray that we would be those who tremble at your word, who revere your word, praise your word. May we be humble. May we have open hearts and open minds. Lord, I pray by your grace that um, anything that is not of you, uh, I pray that would not be said. But anything that is of you, Lord, I pray it be said clearly and that you would um, open up hearts to receive your word humbly. And Lord, we want to see a great transformation as we're renewed into your likeness by the power of your Holy Spirit. So come with us, make us more like Christ and be glorified. Amen. What's it all about? Christmas. I remember my first Christmas with an Andy's folks after we got married. You really get to know a family in a different way, don't you? When you spend your first Christmas with them. You really get to know their peculiarities. I mean, people are different, aren't they? I remember when it was time to unwrap the presents around the Christmas tree. I say unwrap, but it seemed that unwrapping was really quite low down on the agenda when it came to this particular ceremony that I'm going to describe to you. See, I'm from a family of four boys, and where I come from, the wrapping paper is the enemy. It's a barrier to be demolished as quickly as possible. We were like a pack of dogs. Within seconds, shreds of paper everywhere, and we were cradling our new toys. Not so in an Andy's family. And Andy's a family of two girls. And in and Andy's family, person one would carefully lift one present and turn it over and make comments about the wrapping paper. They would make appreciative comments, and then they would sometimes ask questions also about the wrapping paper. These questions would then lead to long discussions about the wrapping paper. Where did it come from? What was the color scheme? Different techniques for making the folds. After some time, person one would pass it on to person two, and the whole thing would repeat. More comments, questions, and then eventually to person three. At this stage, the first present still has not been opened. And if memory serves me correctly, all of this is before we've had lunch. I couldn't help but think, as I saw these presents go around the circle, isn't there something inside we're meant to be getting to? I wonder if it's just me or whether others would say at this time of year, is it possible, is it even easy that we've forgotten the substance beneath the wrapping paper? Have we forgotten that the wrapping paper, however lovely, is not the purpose? At this time of year, there's a lot of wrapping paper, isn't there? Decorations, feasts, parties, shopping lists, cards to write, extra events, stuff. 
And much of it is good. But do you ever feel that in all this superfluity of stuff and things to keep up with, it's easy to lose sight of the purpose? What it's all about in the first place, the substance beneath it all. Indeed, I'm convinced that the vast majority of people in this nation who celebrate Christmas in some kind of way actually have no real grasp in the first place of what it's all about. So what is it about? What is the substance beneath the wrapping paper? Well, this morning I want to give you the key to unlock Christmas. The fundamental meaning, the basic purpose behind it all, what it's all about. We're going to strip things right back this morning. Sometimes we just need to make things simple again, don't we? They get very complicated. Remind ourselves of what it's all about. Or perhaps for some this morning, perhaps, to find out for the very first time the true meaning of Christmas. Because you see, it's possible even to read or hear the authentic original Christmas stories, the biblical um, passages, the real deal, or to sing about them, watch nativity plays about them, but the meaning still just goes right over your head. You're familiar with the details, what happened, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, but the meaning of it all, what it's got to do with you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at an explanatory key that makes sense of it all, that unlocks the meaning of every event, every reading, every song, the whole thing, the basic essence of Christmas and of the good news of Christianity and indeed of the meaning of life itself. Are you ready for it? Nine words, and it's here in our text. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You can have these nine words memorized by the time we're done today. For many of us, perhaps this is a healthy reminder, a, a caption to apply to all that we hear and see and say and do over these next few weeks in particular. May it be emblazoned on the inside of our eyelids. But also perhaps um, something for us to pass on, a succinct summary of what it's all about for family and friends we're going to be spending time with over the next few weeks who, who may not know this. As has been said, let's listen to this if we're already familiar with these things, not as a reservoir but as a river. Okay, Where are you going to pass this on? to next but perhaps for some this morning by God's grace this might be the first time you really grasp for yourself what it's all about this is it Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners it's all about Jesus as has been said he is the reason for the season so let's break this down a little. We're going to look at who Jesus is, his identity, and we're going to look at why he came, his mission. And then we're going to think about what it has to do with us, with me and with you, and indeed with everyone on this planet. So let's begin with his identity, who Jesus is. Christ Jesus came into the world. Did you know the word Christ is more a title than a name as such? You know, when you order something online, you can choose your title. In fact, you can choose whatever you like. Then you don't have to provide qualifications or, or, or proof. You can choose to call yourself Lord Brennan or, or Sir Brennan or whatever you like. 
But in truth, of course, titles can't be chosen, can they? They need to be conferred. And nowhere is this more true than with the Christ or the Messiah. That's the Hebrew version of the same word. Literally, it means anointed. Which referred in Old Testament times, so before Jesus' time, to the anointing with oil of God's choice. For special offices and, and roles, jobs. Prophets, priests, and especially kings. They weren't crowned as, as we do these days with our coronations. They weren't crowned, they were anointed. Oil was poured on the head, and really it was a sign that their authority came from above. It was God's choice. And of course, there were many kings in the Old Testament, many anointeds, if you will, with a, a lowercase a, but none of these was the true and eternal king that was to come. They were only foreshadowings of the real deal, appetizers, if you will, sketches. As these imperfect kings and priests and prophets uh, foreshadowed imperfectly the great anointed that was to come, so prophecies paved the way, incredibly insightful predictions. Turn with me, if you can, to Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, we're just going to read a few verses here, verses 6 and 7. This was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Do turn back to our passage if you would like. You see, there was a greater king to come, God's chosen one, utterly superior to all who had preceded him. And so by Jesus' day, there was this hot expectation uh, that, that one day, no one knew when, but one day God's special king would come, this chosen one. And he would bring salvation. In the words of Luke's gospel, you don't have to turn there now if you don't want to, but in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it was put like this. There were those who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Some perhaps had slightly the wrong idea or a limited idea about what kind of king, what kind of kingdom this would be. Some, I think, were confused about the time scale, that history would still continue somewhat beyond the moment when the Messiah came. Some, although there were clues there in the prophecies, did not realize his kingdom and his salvation would stretch far beyond Israel itself and include the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well, indeed the whole world. But the expectation was there. This Messiah, this Christ was going to come. Now notice with me something very significant in this nine-word formula of the meaning of Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world. If he came into the world, that means, doesn't it, that he didn't start off in the world. He came from somewhere else. 
his origins are not of this world. Christ Jesus came from somewhere else. And this is one way in which Christ Jesus is radically different from all the kings and priests and prophets of the Old Testament. And indeed, any spiritual leaders or revolutionaries that have ever lived ever since, good or bad, true or false, all of the others, without exception, like you and me, began their life and existence here on earth. At the moment of fertilization, that's when our existence begins. That's when we began. We are of this world. Those are our origins. We're made for more than this world. Absolutely. That's why this world alone can never satisfy. Scripture says God has placed in the hearts of men eternity. We're made for more than this world. But this is where we were created. This is where we began. God created us here on earth. We had a beginning, but not so with Christ Jesus. He came into the world from somewhere else. You are from below. Jesus would go on to say when he grew up, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And then later he he would make this remarkable statement. This is all in John chapter 8 if you want to look at it later. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived more than one and a half millennia before Jesus in terms of his earthly life. But Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. This is no ordinary human being, not even an ordinary king. Jesus was with God the Father and was loved by God the Father before the creation of the world. He was there in the very beginning. John 1, you can again read it later, opens with this incredible statement that he was with God in the beginning and he was God in the beginning. This Christ Jesus was and is God. This is who was coming into the world. This baby Jesus was and is no less than God himself come to visit us. Isn't that astonishing? Fully human, yes, as we've just sung. And as we'll go on to see, he had to be made like us in every way to achieve his mission. He took on full humanity right from the start, right from conception, but fully God as well? Absolutely. Fully God, fully man. This is the profound mystery. Not a mystery in the sense that it's a secret, but in the sense that we cannot contain it in our human brains. Can you imagine beholding with the shepherds this newborn baby? The God and creator of the entire universe now lying helplessly, limbs flailing, the voice that spoke all things into being, now snuffling and murmuring and crying out for sustenance. Beyond words. And this is why his arrival on earth sent out shockwaves felt ever since, forming our calendar, shaping world culture, such that people all over the world, from east to west, even when they don't understand what it all means, they'll be marking his birthday. And wishing each other Merry Christmas. This is why the hosts of angel choirs. This is why the thousands of miles traveled by astrologers from the east to see this newborn child. Because he was no ordinary child. 
as one of his other names tells us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means. Are you beginning to see the substance beneath all the wrapping paper? Don't miss it. This prophesied chosen one, the the one born a king, is none other than God himself, God the Son, come in human flesh, God with us. And the name Jesus also means something. It also tells a story. It means the Lord saves. And this brings us from his identity, the Lord, God himself, in human flesh, to his mission, why he came. Why did he come? Our nine-word summary tells us plainly, doesn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you were to get a knock on the door this afternoon, and upon opening the door, found a fireman standing there in all his kit, saying he's come to rescue you, there would only really be two possible explanations, wouldn't there? Either he's mistaken, come to the wrong address, or there's a danger you don't know about. His self-professed reason for being there carries a clear implication. You're in danger. You need rescuing. The implication of Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas, is that we're in grave danger. Mortal danger, in fact. Is that what you think of when you think of the Christmas story? Well, that's what it implies. Because if Jesus has come on a rescue mission, come to save us, well, that tells us there's something we need saving from. We're in danger. How does that sit with you this morning? Do you believe that? Do you believe you need rescuing? Of course, it's possible to be in grave danger without realizing it. A classic example is carbon monoxide poisoning. You can't smell it. You can't detect it, but it's lethal. The problem we're talking about this morning is lethal. Maybe you're not aware of it. Allow God's word to sound the alarm. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The verdict of scripture is that we are sinners, all of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 reads, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, it's not as though Jesus came to save just a few particularly bad people. As if there's a certain class of people who really need saving. Uh, But the rest of us, people like you and me, of course, well, we're perfectly decent people. We don't really need saving. A bit of feedback from time to time, sure. But not saving. Some tweaks here and there. Not saying we're perfect, but we're not bad people. No, the verdict of Scripture is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a problem. It's not climate change, it's not even the Tory government. The problem is that we're all sinners. You could put it this way, I am the problem. 
I can't point the finger at someone else or something else and say that's the problem because the problem is me. It's in here. And for that reason, it's not a problem we can fix ourselves, no matter how, we, how hard we try. This is why the Jordan Petersons of this world are on a fool's errand. As if we can just pull our socks up, take on more responsibility, and, and try harder, and, and then we can save ourselves and the world. No, it's not going to work. Why? Because we are the problem. The problem can't be its own solution. We need help from outside. We need more than just good advice or an example to follow. And this is why the popular ideas of Jesus as just a great teacher and nothing more, or just a good man and nothing more, totally miss the, the target. What we need is far more than some pointers, tips, or a model to emulate. Because the problem is inside us. That would never do. You know, if someone has an artery that's blocked in a critical place, it's no good telling them to wash on the outside or do some exercises. The problem's on the inside. Friends, each one of us by nature has a critical condition on the inside. It's called sin. Sin is transgression of God's holy law. Doing what God forbids, not doing what God commands. We're lawbreakers. But you know, it starts deeper and it goes further than mere external actions. Breaking the do's and don'ts. It's actually an attitude of the heart that says, I decide actually what's right and wrong. It is life in the universe according to me. It's I did it my way. Apparently one of the most commonly played songs at funerals. It's my truth. It's what's right for me is right for me. It's listen to your heart. Things, in fact, that are upheld as virtues in our culture today. But actually, they're diametrically opposed to God's word. And one of the clearest articulations of the essence of sin. It is failing to give God the honor and worship and love that he deserves, and instead expecting what he's created to serve me. It is a God complex. I am my own master. I decide. So you see, sin isn't just something we do. It's what we're like. It's what we are. We're sinners. It is a bent, an inclination a product feature. Not that we were created this way in the beginning. God created mankind good. God made us in his own image, and we still bear his image. We're still capable of doing good things. But since our first parents fell, turned away from God, all of us have inherited their sinful nature, and we all sin. We're all guilty before a holy God, Jew or Gentile, religious or non-religious, whether you're a spiritual person or an agnostic or an atheist, black or white, upstanding citizen or criminal, locked up for life, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the penalty? Well, Scripture is equally clear on this point too. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 
reads, the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. This is what we've earned. These are our wages. Before a holy God, according to his perfect law, we guilty sinners, lawbreakers, stand condemned. The fair and just and and righteous sentence is death. No one can argue. I'm guilty. I did it. It was me. Right from the beginning, the Garden of Eden, God warned our first parents that if they disobeyed, they would die. This is the result. Death is the consequence of sin. Death follows sin as surely as night follows day. Indeed, it's why death came into the world in the first place, because of sin. It was never meant to be like that. God created us to live forever in harmony with him. But when our first parents sinned, death came in to the world. And we need to be clear that this is more than mere physical death. It is a spiritual, eternal death. Scripture says that it's destined for a man to live once and after that to face judgment. Outside of Christ, still in our sin, there is only one result of that judgment. Not eternal life, for which we were created but eternal death, eternal punishment, being locked outside of God's holy city, away from his goodness, his light, his life, his love, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the sentence. What are we to do? Well, there's nothing we can do. But God has done something. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What we could never do, God did. He left behind for a time his glory and the comfort of heaven and took on human flesh. Not for his own sake, but for our sake. He lived a perfect life in full obedience to God's holy law. And and so death had no claim on him because he had never sinned. Yet he took on our sin and our sentence of death and he endured it. He suffered it on our behalf, on the cross. It was a divine exchange, a substitution. The sinless one took on our sin and paid the price so that we could be freed from sin forgiven and counted as if we had never sinned at all. If you turn back with me again to Isaiah, again, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. Isaiah 53, one of the most amazing explanations of what took place at the cross. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up 
our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who could speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper In his hand, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Are you seeing it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why we celebrate. This is the substance. God himself in human flesh come to rescue us sinners. Not because we deserved it, but because of his grace. His free gift of self-sacrificing Love, that really is good news. That's worth celebrating. What next then? A present can be observed from the outside, passed around, admired even. But unless you unwrap it, unless you get into it for yourself, you'll never know the benefits, will you? Never experience and enjoy the gift for yourself. Jesus, along with all that he offers, is a gift like no other, but a gift that must be received and appropriated nonetheless. You can't just leave this gift at arm's length. You need to do something. You need to get into it. You need to take it. The man who wrote the words we've been considering this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 1 Verses 15 to 17. The man who wrote these words uh, used to be called Saul of Tarsus. He wrote these words some decades after Jesus was born. Let's listen to a bit more of his story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very, I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. What Saul is referring to there is his former life. 
And you can read a bit more of it but back in verse 13, actually, of our chapter, just above where we started our reading, the first half of verse 13. If you can see it there, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This is what Saul was like. It's what he used to be like. The worst of sinners. He used to go around rounding up people's, God's people and putting them in prison, even breathing out murderous threats, approving of them being put to death for their confession of Christ. This is what he was like, the worst of sinners, diametrically opposed to God's purposes. But then did you see what he said? But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example. Do you see Saul's life is a case study, an example Christ came to save sinners. Well, here's the worst sinner you can imagine, Saul of Tarsus, and Christ saved him. He washed him, forgave him, made him new. He took on a new name, Paul. He became one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church. He wrote much of the New Testament, and all of this because of the grace of God, verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ saved Paul. The worst sinner you can imagine. So who is there that he cannot save? Who is beyond the reach of the grace of God? Are you? Is anybody? It's all God's grace. It's from God. It's God's doing. But... We must actively respond in faith. We must appropriate the gift. Read with me in verse 16. So Paul's saying here how he's, he's an example. For those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I've got a slightly older translation than what was read earlier on. His unlimited patience is an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Do you see, this gift is for those who will believe and receive. This passage predicts that there will be many throughout history who will believe and receive. By God's grace, I'm one of them. Are you this morning? Are you one of them? Or will today be the day that you become one of them? Is today your day to step into this, to take the gift? for yourself, to get into it. You know, there's a difference between believing that and believing on. You can believe that something's true. There's a difference between believing that and believing on. Imagine you were the first person to invent the airplane. You might believe that it will fly, but are you, are you willing to put your money where your mouth is and step onto it? That's the difference between believing at and believing on. Are you willing to depend on it? Are you willing to put yourself into its hands? Only by believing on Jesus, depending on him, putting our weight on him, can we receive his gifts of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives, giving us his love and joy and peace and his eternal life. Have you believed on him? Have you received 
eternal life. You can do it today. Notice how our reading for today began. Did you, did you hear this? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So have you accepted it? Have you accepted the trustworthy saying? It's trustworthy. That's not in question. The question is, have you accepted it? Fully. Have you stepped into it? Well, what does this look like? It means accepting the verdict of Scripture. That though God is good and made us good, we, all of us, have turned away and sinned. We have to admit that. I have to admit I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I have to repent of my sin. That means to turn away. I have to hate and forsake my sin and turn away from it. I have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God the Son and believe that he died for my sins on the cross. And that God the Father raised him to life on the third day. And I need to come to him the living God in faith, personal faith, trusting in him for my forgiveness. And I need to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit and of eternal life. And with his help, I need to commit to living the rest of my life, no longer for myself, but for him who died for me. That's what it means to take the gift, to get into it. And I wonder if today might be the day for someone. The day that you stop looking at this gift from afar. Or turning it over in your hands. Considering it. Looking at it from the outside. Admiring it even. Perhaps today's the day that you get into it. For yourself. Will today be the day that you say, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, I accept this gift fully. I believe. I receive. Dear friend, if that's you today, if you believe what you're hearing and you sense the Spirit tugging on your heart that today's the day, can I urge you, don't put it off. Come to Christ today. You can do it today. You don't need to go home and tidy up your life first. You come today, exactly as you are. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So before you go out those doors, after the, once you've closed the service, if you don't know where you stand with the living God, if you're not sure that you'd receive this gift for yourself. Don't go out through the doors. I urge you, stay behind. Speak with someone. Pray with someone. We've got people on prayer today. Come forward. Or come with the person you came with. Or any one of us. We'd love to walk you through what it means to make that commitment today. I urge you, don't leave today without knowing where you stand with God. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners.